I think what is for you in life isn't going to pass you by if you're open to receiving it. Hello and welcome to Pivot Points, a podcast exploring the pivot points in people's lives, loves, losses and leadership. Each week, we take our guests on a retrospective, delving into their mindset, perspective and choices at the time of their pivotal moments and what they've taught them in the long run. We explore how the good and the bad, happiness and deep sadness, success and failure are in fact inseparable. And we learn that real strength is born from hardship. We're your hosts, Gabby Miller and Amelia Savall. We're both professional coaches, so in between recording podcasts, we can be found supporting our clients through their leadership and life challenges. Okay, Gabs, hi. Hi, Amelia. Tell us about today's guest. We have a return visitor. (laughs) Someone's agreed to come back. (laughs) This is a first, a pivot point first. (laughs) So Louise Blythe was our second guest on Pivot Points last year, a year ago. It's our anniversary. It's our birthday. It's our birthday. And she had just released her book, Hope is Coming which details the journey she took during, through and after her husband George died at the age of 33 from bowel cancer. And they had two very young boys at the time and she chronicles her letters and prayers and thoughts through that time and thereafter and her spiritual journey. And we were utterly fascinated with her, weren't we, Gabs? Yeah, she's amazing. She really is very special. So we were so happy to have her come back. Now, because life inevitably isn't just one pivot and then you move on. Our lives continue to pivot. And um, Louise has had a big year. She's got married and COVID and her dad sadly died as well. So a lot has has moved and changed and she explores that with us today and talks to us about it. Yeah, so we'll see you afterwards for our reflections and musings. Enjoy. Enjoy. Louise, welcome back to Pivot Points. Thank you for having me. So happy to have you. Gabby and I were so keen to talk to you again because you were literally our second guest on the podcast and that was a year ago and so much has happened to you since that we thought, well, she, this gal keeps pivoting. <laughs> Let's get her back in. <laughs> and so, Louise, when we left you last time, it was with the launch of your book. Firstly, how has that gone? How is it to be an author? Gosh, yes. I mean, I never expected to launch a book in the middle of a pandemic. Mm. And the last year has been completely unexpected, actually, in terms of how it's gone. So I think probably like a lot of people, all of the plans that I had in terms of what I thought I was going to be doing and how strategically I wanted to market my book got absolutely taken away from me. And I think my biggest learning actually has been that sometimes if you 
are supposed to do something and something is supposed to happen, it happens anyway, regardless of what you maybe put in. So, um, yeah, the, the book's been insane, actually. I've sold an awful lot of copies. Um, I have made a national TV appearance. I've been on the BBC website a few times. Um, <laughs> and I'm in negotiations at the moment about a broader international book deal and launching the book in a more a sort of a more tangible bigger way because I did self-publish um so yeah it's it's been it's been the thing of dreams is probably the best way to describe it it's been amazing what have you noticed the impact being on your readership what is the feedback that you're getting what's the the reactions you're having the feedback is the bit actually that is so beautiful. So I think what is really interesting is the way I've written my book is really, really real and it's really authentic. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what really grabs people. And I actually get fan mail now on pretty much a <laughs> daily basis, which is so uncomfortable for me to say. But actually the thing that's so amazing is that the people that write to me write to me in just such a real way in such an honest way and they tell me about like real deep parts of their story and I think it's this again this piece of like you know if you show up as being authentic and vulnerable then that's where other people meet you so I've been connected with so many people in this country and internationally that have shared you know big stories and then how my story has impacted them which has just been so beautiful it's a real gift, actually. I was watching a webinar yesterday, and it was about leadership and how leadership needs to almost find that vulnerability as well and kind of, not in a kind of showcasing, broadcasting way, but actually just be very authentic in which, in order to have a reciprocal relationship with the people that you're leading. Yeah. So I just love that you've reflected that for me again just a day later. It's so, I think that's a massive subject as well, because I mean, even in this last week, there's been some, you know, some crazy things that I've been doing, like writing bios for my agent. I mean, I never thought I would have an agent. And then you find yourself in this situation where you've got huge imposter syndrome because you're sort of going, oh my gosh, I'm writing a bio and I'm being stacked up against these people that have done really impressive things like climbed Kilimanjaro 10 times or rode across the Atlantic or had a New York Times bestseller and you're kind of going gosh what have I done like why do I deserve a seat at this table and someone said to me this week which was so interesting yeah but Louise you've just you've not just written a story you've you've lived a story so that gives you the credibility to be there but I think it's just so interesting how people even you know when it looks to other people like they've got their stuff together and they know what they're doing that they still have that, you know? I think people maybe sometimes don't think I get imposter syndrome. I'm like, no, I totally get that. And Louise, tell us where you are with your grief now. I know we left off and that was the kind of the end of the book as well. Mm. So grief, I mean, grief is a lifetime of sadness. And I feel like that, that's not an overly dramatic thing to say when you lose um someone who is kind of part of you and part of your children and this last year has been incredibly challenging as well as incredibly exciting because my dad actually also died in November last year not from covid from cancer but we've we've had a we've had a very different experience of grief because we've had to grieve in lockdown which 
is incredibly different to grieving outside of lockdown. There's a level of surrealism attached to it because all of us are kind of removed from the normality of our lives. And so then you can't grieve in and miss that person in the same way that you would have maybe missed them in normal life because everybody's kind of extracted from their normality. So in terms of how is my grief, I mean, that's such a big question because grief is just so many things and there are good days and bad days. And actually, in all honesty, this week has been a really bumpy week for me because there's been some really exciting things happen and some really sad things happen. And often when exciting things happen in your life, it's a huge trigger for the grief as well, because you miss the people that aren't here to share it with you. That's something you said in the last podcast that really stayed with me was about grief coming at all the different life events that will happen. You know, your kid's first day at school and all those things where it reaffirms and just brings to light again. Yeah. And I mean, it's my oldest boy's birthday tomorrow, which he's incredibly excited about because he's going to be eight. And his joy and enthusiasm and sort of love for life will carry us through tomorrow. But even my children's birthdays are incredibly sad days for me. And I and I find that really difficult as well, because you sort of you carry all mothers carry mum guilt. But I think when you're grieving and you have this guilt of I should be enjoying this moment more than I am and I feel bad that I'm not enjoying it and then you have that on top of the whole mum guilt of gosh they're eight already and so much of their life has actually passed me by because I've been grieving and in a place of survival and sadness so yeah there's just always so many technicolors is the best word I can use to describe it to a moment it's there's never a sort of black and whiteness to it it's always edged with wonderfulness and sadness and expectation and reality I can hear that it pulls you out of the moment Mm. in a way is it like being an observer in some way I think that's a really interesting observation and I think what I've learned in terms of what I have to do to kind of overcome grief is to be in the moment because I think what's so interesting about the human mind is you can you can miss what's happening right here, right now, because your mind's preoccupied with what was or what might be. And actually, the biggest life lesson that all of my experiences have taught me is that all we all have is the right here and the right now. And actually, none of us really know what's going to happen next. And children have the most amazing way of being grounded in the moment and actually kind of living in the moment it's been a really key thing that I've done to always, I suppose, deal with my grief. And that's not to say that I've denied my grief, but I've kind of just gone, I'm here and I am in this birthday party or I am at this wedding or I am wherever I am and I do feel sad, but let's also be happy for what is, you know? Because otherwise it's so easy to get lost in the sadness and let that completely pervade you and never let that light shine on you, which is really... I think a challenge for a lot of people actually who find themselves in deep, deep grief. So it's really about kind of you you have to very consciously pull yourself yeah. into this moment and experience it and remind yourself what you want to be feeling at this yeah. moment. And I would say that my kids have been my biggest teachers in that regard because they, like I said, you know, that is how they live each day of their lives. And so actually, when you look at the world through their eyes, it then feels easier because you think they're literally just thinking about what they're going to do now, maybe what they're going to do after this. They're not even thinking about what's going to happen tonight. 
I think you've put it beautifully that like this grief is an ongoing part of your life now but I think there's something quite intense about the support you get at first Mm. and then I suppose do people think you've you know they don't need to talk about that anymore or that you're okay how is it with the people around you yeah I mean wow that is such a good question so I think there's definitely the perception versus the reality and someone this week actually a new friend of mine um who really sadly is um living out the loss of her husband at the moment who's really really sick she said to me that she'd learned that there's a difference between the words grieving and mourning and she said that mourning was the public act of grief and it was the expectation that people expected to see so maybe that's seeming like you're sad or wearing black clothes or feeling uncomfortable in situations and grief actually is what people don't see and is the thing that goes on forever. So I think what's interesting is that the world has this expectation around mourning in terms of how you should be with the loss that you have lived through. But then in terms of grief, people are just so out of their depths in terms of how to speak to it, how to handle it, how to know what to say to it. And I think the biggest thing that people who are in my situation get put on them is this you know, often people will speak to time and say things like, oh, it's a bit too soon. Or don't you think it's time that maybe you did this? And I know, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm connected in this beautiful um, tribe of widow and widowers who we've all kind of connected on Instagram, actually. And one of the things we all talk about a lot is where is this expectation of time? Where has this come from? Because this mm-hmm. is the public act of mourning that people seem to perceive is what happens when someone dies. And actually that timing might look really different for someone who is young versus someone who's old or someone who was in a, a marriage that was, you know, abusive to in a marriage that was loving. And, and people, have all, people have very different stories. And I always say, you know, for me, my grief is my love backwards or my love in reverse because just as my relationship with my first husband, George, and my dad was unique between me and them, my grief is unique between me and them too. And just because other people have lost their dad or lost their husband doesn't mean that they will act in the same way. But yet the public perception is that you will act in the same way. It's very bizarre. I love what you just said there about the grief being in my love in reverse. Mm. It's very poetic. I think what I'm hearing you say is something that comes up as a universal I know we're applying, you know, it's applied to grief here, but Gabby and I work with people almost exclusively to really put a mirror up to their shoulds. We all have these narratives that we don't examine very often, that anyone shoulding you at this moment is wildly inappropriate. Yeah, but it's just fascinating because I think that, you know, as humans, we have this overlay of time that we put on everything you know I'm sure Gabby I think you had a a bigger birthday recently and I think you know birthdays are a really interesting one because they're a point in time when people you know often have a mirror that's put up against them going oh my gosh I thought I should have done all of this by the time you know by the age that I am now and 
you know, grief has actually really taught me to just shed all of those things because I actually can some days find myself genuinely crying, feeling grateful, laughing and feeling expectant all at the same time. And actually, you can do that. Like as human beings, we are, we have so much capacity for emotion but it just is wildly um, not spoken about because the expectation is, is that you almost live one emotion at a time in a nice little box, you know? Yes. And that's not and how And we label them work. good and bad. Yeah. And that's <laughs> not how your hearts work. It's just not yeah. how it is. So speaking of how your hearts work, oh, it was a lovely segue. You have found love. I have. Tell us. Tell us all about this, please. It's so interesting because when George died I actually did always say I'm really open to finding love again and I'm really open to being in another relationship and in all honesty I think there was part of me that in the early days after George died wanted to prove that I could almost be in another relationship because I'd spent 10 years of my adult life with the same man who I thought was my forever and you then had this whole re-evaluation of who you are and how you sort of perceive yourself as a woman and there was definitely a season of I suppose trying to find myself and re-establish myself and the irony is is that I'd kind of gone on this ride of I'm really ready I think I want to meet someone else and then kind of gone oh no I'm really not ready I don't really think I do and actually when I did meet Colin I was in this season of I'm actually really now not looking for anything because I'm feeling really happy and comfortable and it's so ironic because everybody always says don't they you know when you stop looking for something or you stop trying for something it, it comes your way and when I first met Colin I was very clear when I very first met him in saying oh, this is not a date you know I will come and meet you and we clearly there's a connection here but this is this is not a date um but he he was so kind and gave me so much space and kept showing up um because there's a lot of grief attached to dating as well because you're going and you're having this nice time and then you're coming home and you're thinking what have I done and it almost feels like you're cheating on someone that's not even alive anymore and there's a lot of complexity around it but in the end with Colin there was just this you know every time we hung out together there was this lightness and there was this happiness and there was this fun and so we kept hanging out and seeing each other and then eventually he met the kids which was really great I was very protective of that as well because I was sort of like you know, for me meeting my children this is like you know this is I am very serious about you and then we've had really the greatest gift given to us um with lockdown so we were in a situation where we lived in two different cities and then when lockdown happened at the beginning of last year and we all thought it was for maybe two or three weeks I mean what were we thinking um we made the decision that Colin would come and live at our house because we thought it was for a few weeks he packed his bag with his bobble hat in and we remember those heady days of last summer when it was boiling hot and he'd had all the wrong clothes and he ended up moving into our house and being here for three months which was just amazing and I kept I joked with a lot of friends actually sort of saying gosh you know well it's like being on Love Island isn't it because three months in lockdown is like probably 30 years in real life because it was every <laughs> single moment of every single part of all of our days and so when the end of lockdown was began to ease we sort of went okay well you live in Manchester and I live in Nottinghamshire so we better go back because I mean, he'd not even brought all of his stuff but we both sort of had gone this has really been beautiful and it's really worked so he went away to Manchester 
and basically came back and asked me to marry him. And then we got married 45 <laughs> days after in like this absolute COVID quickie lockdown wedding. But then went viral, which then went viral, which was ridiculous. So yeah, it's been quite an adventure. A COVID quickie. It was Love a COVID it. quickie. <laughs> Gosh. Congratulations. Massive congratulations. Tell us like about the experience then of falling in love again. Yeah. What's that like? Also, what's it like for him? I imagine I have a hard time with, you know, my fiance's ex-girlfriends and you know, they broke up. There's something quite different. Yeah. I really openly say I'm in love with two men which is something that I never thought that I would say, you know. But one of them's alive and one of them's dead. And I can't have George in this season of my life. He isn't here. His memory is here. He's part of so much of what we do. But he isn't here. And Colin has always been incredibly accepting and open and just okay with that you know he's never once made me feel like he's trying to step into his shoes he's very clearly had his own shoes that are completely different that are in a different cupboard and that has always been the way that it's been and that's been really incredibly helpful because In all honesty, you know, a lot of my grieving used to be on my own. And now a lot of my grieving is with Colin. And Colin does sit with me whilst I cry about the fact that George isn't here. And that takes, that takes a real man to be able to do that. You know, he is so big with his heart and his emotions and with my children's hearts and their emotions. And is just so okay with the fact that, you know, love is a big complex beautiful emotion there's so much I could say about this and actually this is what I am going to write more about um because it's just so complex and so misunderstood as well tell us about that what are you starting to examine there will be a new book there is going to be another book there is going to be another book and I don't in all honesty I don't know exactly yet how this next book is going to play out in terms of how much I want to share because I often get asked a lot about gosh you've shared so much you know do you want to keep sharing and there is a part of mine and um, Colin's relationship that I won't share because it's for us here and it's it's ours and it's between us and God but also there's this whole other narrative around the complexity of falling in love and letting yourself be open again to all of the excitement and joy and safety that comes with that, but all of the fear as well. And for me, you know, a big, big, big barrier genuinely was, I don't know if I can fall in love with someone again, because what if they die too? Am I okay with the fact that they might die? Because, you know, if I'm not, then I can't, I can't let myself go into this again, because if this is going to be what tips me over like I've got there's got to be a level of safeguarding here and I mean we sometimes even joke about it in bed I'm having a cup of tea in the morning because Colin actually once said to us you know what would you do if I died and I just genuinely said I'd be all right and he was like oh whoa whoa you said that a bit too quick there you said that a bit too quick 
but it's because genuinely and I and I said this to her afterwards I was like but you don't understand like I've been through 12 months of like falling in love with you and getting this straight in my own head because that for me was one of the biggest barriers to starting a new relationship you know so for me I just now have this outlook that my security isn't in human beings I love so many human beings and I have beautiful joy that comes from my human relationships but I can't seek my security in human beings or in things my security has to come from within and it has and for me it's it's given to me by God and it's something that I have to work at and and look for and seek out on a daily basis to be grounded in you know God's presence because if I don't have that you know I I can't I can't let myself run away with all those other things because I just feel too scared I think it's a really important topic and I'm so happy that you're going to write about this and talk about this more because it almost is, it's like death is a taboo, yeah. but so is being a widow or a widower yeah. and like falling in love again, your life continuing. Did you find people don't know what to say around you or did you find there was judgments? Do you know, I think it's genuinely a bit of everything. So I think just in the way that people there's been a bit of everything around the loss of George and the loss of my dad in terms of people absolutely not knowing what to say. So then kind of being distant and saying nothing. And then people stepping in and saying, I don't know what to say, but I'm really happy for you. And then there's this also this awkwardness and clunkiness. What I would say is overridingly, more people seem to be okay with happiness than they are with sadness. So I've definitely noticed that people who didn't necessarily speak to me about George's death in detail have been more open and wanting to speak to me about falling in love in detail. And there's definitely, definitely, I feel this sense from people around, you've met someone else, you're okay. And actually, you know, exactly what I said at the beginning, you know, my grief is a lifetime's work. The grief never goes away. You just learn to live with it in different seasons. It's not something that stops. I wanted to ask you how your children have found it. What the experience has been like for them? They are so joyful. So they were so excited when they first met Colin and for them I had the realization after they met him that they live their life like they're in a Disney movie so for them they met Colin and then literally in the on the car journey home when he wasn't with us they were like mommy when's the wedding and I was sort of like uh they were not getting married but in their heads when you meet someone you have a kiss you fall in love the next day you get married And I've had this realisation that basically every single movie that I sit and watch with them is that storyline. But for them, they were just so excited and so happy. And I think we did did things really, really slowly and really carefully. You know, it wasn't that just Colin was in my bed one morning. Like, that was just not what we wanted to do. And we were really, really careful about that because that's not how we wanted to be and I know I've spoken before about my Christian values and my Christian outlook and my Christian faith and actually the Christian attitude to relationships is something that's really interesting because there is this whole belief around you wait and you get married and that's that's when really you live together properly and 
actually a lot of the Christian values really helped and supported Colin and I in the way that we were with the children because we realised that actually a lot of that protected them because it allowed them to just get used to the idea and be really excited about it and be really happy about it. And when we announced that we were getting married, my oldest little boy cried and he cried of just shock <laughs> and overwhelm yeah. and happiness and sadness. It was it was a technical a cry. It wasn't a, <laughs> I'm so happy yeah. for you, mummy. It was a technical a cry. And then he had a huge nosebleed because it was just like, <laughs> just so much for so him. Much. They've coined the phrase for Colin that he is their nearly dad, which I just find so cute because we, we spent quite a lot of time being like, you know, what do you want to call Colin? You can call him, you know, daddy said it was okay if you do want to call him daddy, but they're like, well, they're just sort of going, well, why would we want to do that? Because he's called Colin, you know, that's his <laughs> name. And um, also he's our nearly dad. I was like, that is such a good name. He's your nearly dad. Yeah. So that's what he is. I think it's so interesting what you say, just kind of rewinding a second, to how you find your security from within and from Mm. God. Mm. And I was just reflecting that it doesn't necessarily need to be a religion as such, but that, you know, if you're kind of taking lessons away, if someone doesn't have a a belief Mm. system as such, but the essence of that is, is being strong within or knowing that you will be okay and that's the bit that we all struggle with so yeah. much. And I think your choice of um, language is really interesting as well, because I would never say to someone that I'm religious. I would say that I live in a relationship. Like I live in a relationship, a spiritual relationship. And actually, I think that for me is much deeper than saying I'm religious, because there's so much of the spirit of religion that I really mm. don't like. Mm. But for me, the spirit of relationship, which is, you know, God meets me as who I am, where I'm at. He meets me if I'm happy, if I'm sad, if I'm expectant, if I'm angry. And I can't be real with myself and with God about who I am and where I'm at. Well, then I'm I'm not going to really get anywhere with anyone else because I can't, you know, I've got to start there. And if I can't be honest in that situation, then where, you know, how can I expect to show up in other places, honestly? And, and that's really genuinely like a lot of the work that I've had to do in the last four and a half years since George's death is getting to that point of feeling that security and just knowing that that is what's going to keep my feet on the ground. Stand me firm. Did you go through that journey on your own? In that 12 months of falling in love with Colin, was that you kind of praying talking to God, self-coaching, was there someone guiding you through that? Because that is an incredible amount of self-reflection and development there. How did you do that? My throwaway answer to that question would be, no, of course I didn't do it on my own. I did it with God. But I also massively realised that when you say stuff like that to people that don't have a relationship with God, because I didn't used to, you kind of go, what? I don't get this. Like, who is this? Like, it's like an imaginary friend. Like, I, I don't understand it. And, you know, obviously for me, there's been this huge journey that I've been on in terms of this crying out to God, God showing up and showing me that he was there. And then all that's come after is then this, okay, so you're here and you're in my life. So how do I have meaningful relationship with you? And what does that look like and what works for me because what works for me won't be what works for you guys you know everyone's got to find their rhythm with that and that's been 
a four and a half year journey and it will be a lifetime's work in terms of the way that my relationship with God will alter and change because the more that you allow God into your life, the more you get to know him and the more you see him and the more you know how he works. And so then that allows you to go deeper and for you to share more. But, you know, this takes that very first step of, well, do I think that this is real or not? And so none of that really makes sense until you've kind of gone, wow, yeah, like, I think that this is, and this is how I want to live my life. I'm interested in, you have conversations with yourself and with God between you. And I guess what I'm interested in, because I think, you know, in your first book, you shout to the skies, why me, why this? What we're interested in as coaches is the quality of the questions that you are asking yourself. And so kind of why me is actually a really unhelpful question. Mm. It's got that, you know, um, of course, because of the situation you were in. And I'm just wondering, have the quality of your questions changed as you have got to know God? Yeah, for me, it's become less about questioning why. And it's become more about questioning what can I do? How can I change? How can I be more graceful, kind, compassionate, patient. So for me as a Christian, I suppose we look to the character of Jesus as this person to go, gosh, this is like really what we should be aiming for as a character. And for me, often my prayer is around those points. So to make that meaningful for you, there would pretend, let's say there's been in the last couple of weeks, a situation where I've been finding it really hard to keep showing up and being kind and I know that my, my Christian faith teaches me that one of the characters of the spirit, fruits of the spirit, is I should be kind. I should be kind and I should be joyful with that kindness. So then your prayer becomes like, show me. Show me how I can be kind. What do I need to do to be kind? Give me that spirit of kindness. And it's asking, it's asking for that. So I think there's definitely a recognition of almost what you need. So I think you, you kind of go from the, the why to the to the what like what what do I need and then actually once you can recognize what you need and you can see stuff as a weakness as well you can then say I know I'm lacking in this I'm lacking in patience I'm lacking in gracefulness help me have this show me how I can have this and that's you know the very act I mean arguably you could say from a psychological perspective that very act of acknowledging will mean that you're more open to receiving anyway so then you'll start to have conversations and go gosh yeah actually this does feel better because I'm being kind and being more patient and it's so beautiful how the how the spirit works in the conversations that you're having but it's not easy it's not easy I think I rarely speak to people who show up for religion when times are good and bad. I think it seems to be something people turn to when they need something. When I'm listening to you, I think there's something really incredible in that sort of unwavering faith. But I think also that's so interesting because for me, you know, the first thing always is thanks. And that's something I teach my kids, you know, it's the basics of like, you know, be thankful. And again, even taking religion out of the conversation, so much positive psychology or resilience will talk about this attitude of gratitude. 
But it's, you know, being thankful for where you are is so powerful. And then if you can allow yourself to be thankful for, you know, for that to to God and kind of acknowledge that that is something that, you know, he's giving you, then that's incredibly powerful. And I think I always try and remind my children as well that we don't just talk to God when things are hard. We talk to God when things are great. And we go, oh my gosh, God, this is amazing. Thank you. You know, so, so thankful. Again, a conversation I've been having in the last couple of weeks is just at the moment, I'm really sensing this feeling of the fact that there's a generation of younger people rising up who just do believe that life should be this brilliant thing. And then if it's not a brilliant thing, then we've got a mental health problem. And that's absolutely not to say that I don't think that there needs to be more conversations on mental health. I'm a huge, huge advocate of that. But I think the world has just become really black and white. And it's sort of like you either, either your life is good or your life is bad. And the reality is, is life's not like that. Life can be ups and downs and wiggles and twists and turns. And some days, you know, even the most resilient, inspiring, motivational people will get up and feel like crap and cry and not feel good enough and have imposter syndrome. I go, I've got to get my shizzle together and move through this. And for me, it's not about the fact that you feel that because I think everybody feels that it's more about the what do you do when you feel that you know the polarization of everything has really proliferated in the well the rise and rise of, of social media for sure yeah. actually yes. on that reminding right the way back to the beginning of our conversation I keep taking this back don't I but I was so interested in what you said about imposter syndrome mm. so how do you have a conversation with yourself and with God around, you know, as you go into your second book now, how do you deal with the imposter? Brilliant question. So this is something that's like really um, front of mind for me at the moment, because I am dealing with the imposter this week, as I've said. And so for me, what I do is I go back to my practices and my practices are things that I've, are techniques that I've um taught myself and kind of gathered from other places and my go-to practices are spending time with God it can be sitting and journaling so my first book has got a lot of my prayers to God and I still sometimes Mm -hmm. sit and write letters and pray in that way because I sometimes find it easier you can so easily get lost in that imposter and go Mm -hmm. tearing down motorways that you don't even need to be on because they're not even realities of things that have even happened I just, when I feel myself going off on that motorway, just I'm like, nope, look to today, look to today, look to the next hour, look to this afternoon, look to the evening. And then on top of that, I then try and think, well, who am I and what am I feeding my soul? You know, so what am I consuming on the internet? What am I reading? Um, Who am I speaking to? Like, we all know that there's certain Instagram feeds that uplift us and there's ones that make us feel like crap so it's like go to the ones that uplift you and then the same with you know reading materials and then also just actually sometimes sit and look at at where you've gone and where you've come from so if I'm having a really awful day this sounds so like I love myself I genuinely sit and read my reviews of my book on Amazon. I'm like, that's what I was hoping you were going to say. I'm not all that bad. I'm not all that bad. They like me. They think I'm okay. Yeah, because we do. We do forget. Like our imposter will not allow us. Yeah. To see 
the incredible things we've done. Yeah. It'll have a story for everything. Oh, well, you got yeah. lucky. Oh, well, the wind was blowing in a certain direction. Whatever. It comes up with the most crazy things, doesn't it? And it's just like... I mean, genuinely, the other day, I opened my book. I mean, I know my book inside out because I lived it for two years, writing it, editing it. And I read the first page and I literally was like, crap, I can't believe I wrote that. It sounds really good. I'm never... But rather than go in my head... Louise, well done. That's amazing. I just went to, well, you're never going to write anything as good as that again. It's never, you, next book's never going to be like that. So and that, helpful. And it's just, it's just part of who we are, isn't it? And you yes. just have to say no. Shut up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Oh, no, no. You've passed your peak now, darling. No, no. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> all of that shit. Oh, I don't know why we do it. We are our own worst enemies. We are so annoying time and time and time again that was so amazing to be able to hear how things have continued to unfold it what I don't know what the opposite of an imposter is but (laughs) I feel like you're in the right place doing the right thing and this conversation is very needed Someone who I prayed with yesterday said to me, you're like Joseph in the Technical Dream Coach. She was talking about how, um, and I never really thought of this before, that actually, you know, he was really sure of himself. He was like, I'm this guy that can see these dreams. And everyone shot him down. And then he basically had to go through this process of like refinding himself. But actually, even when he was in prison and when he was married and the mistress tried to tempt him, like he, he always ended up on the right side of stuff because what was for him didn't pass him by. And so the story is a happy ending, but it, was a, it wasn't an easy story. It was a hard story, but what was for him didn't pass him by. And I do think, and I think I said this at the start of the conversation when I was talking about this book, I think what is for you in life isn't going to pass you by if you're open to receiving it. I think it can pass you by if you decide that you can't receive it, but that's a whole different, whole different conversation for another day. I love that. Really love that quote. Louise, thank you. Thank, Thank you. you yet again. Such a joy. I feel like this is a part two. There'll be a part three. We're going to make this an annual this thing. This time next year, yeah. we can see what's happening. We can see where you are. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, Gabs, what did you think? Now we've met Louise again. I love Louise. She is a force of nature she's just got so much life in her doesn't she it just makes me happy speaking to her yeah I my big takeaway from the episode I think is that there can be joy again after very very profound periods of pain and grief but that that isn't you are now not grieving and not sad and you're just joyful Mm -hmm. that it's just an addition it's like she's added this joy and love in rather than it getting rid of or negating any of the pain and heartbreak and grief she still experiences. Mm. And I think that really stayed with me as well, that people's lives move on and the person grieving doesn't. And, you know, she still said, now my husband sits with me while I cry about my first husband Mm. and that that pain is still very present even though around you the kind of the world continues I just thought it's really interesting that if you ask yourself quality questions that you really can pull yourself through 
unbelievable pain or unbelievable grief or unbelievable sadness or whatever it is that you can you can bring yourself to present yeah I find it really difficult to comprehend how anyone is fully reliant on only themselves and they've they've managed to as you said sort of transcend that need yeah I don't think she was like you know I don't need anybody but it was like I will survive yeah and I suppose maybe you come through that when you've experienced such a loss and you have survived because I I don't feel that way Mm. and maybe you can't imagine feeling that or maybe you can I can't imagine feeling that Mm. because I haven't lived through an experience like that and come out the other side I thought it was really fascinating what she said about time about all the shoulds that are associated with time shouldn't you be moving on now or oh that's a bit close isn't it aren't you Mm. and that you have to be able to navigate that that's where that kind of core strength in self and self-belief is really going to help you navigate all the shoulds that come with the publicity of mourning oh god Um, I just think people should not be shoulding on anyone's life like incredible it's just so frustrating no one should do anything everyone can do things as they want in their own time unless it's something I don't (laughs) in which case you shouldn't do it (laughs) but we are we're so quick to want to judge or to impose our value system onto someone else having had no experience of what they've experienced. We're just continuously doing it. I I catch myself doing it. And also, I think because it's so prevalent in your and my coaching as well, we've just been rolling out a program of resiliency workshops together and really drilling down into what resiliency is. And I just thought it was so interesting right at the top of the interview where she was talking about how last year was not how the book launch was meant to go another should there but she's like it still got done like I knew that I wanted to get from A to Z so how I got there was not B C D E F it was all over the place but we got there and I think that's just the epitome of resilience isn't it like just to kind of well we're still headed in the right direction the purpose is there the goal's there how we get there, a little bit up to the gods, if you will. And I thought that was wonderful that she's still so successful and and getting another book deal off the back of it. And it didn't need for her to be on this big tour, etc. She she did it yeah. anyway. And yeah, I think that's so the case. And as we all reflect back on our 2020, as well, certainly in the UK, we're coming out of lockdowns right now. And People are tentatively tiptoeing out of the doors again. How do we want to look back on that time? We didn't, we did still went from A to Z. (laughs) How did we get there? What did we do? And I think it's a good time to reflect right now. Beautiful note to end on. Thanks so much. Well, we will see you next time with a coach approach. Until then. Ta-ta. Bye. If you like the episode, please rate, review and subscribe. 
You can follow us on Instagram at Pivot Points Podcast, Twitter at Pivot Points One, or email us on pivotpointspod at gmail.com. And if you want to work with us, we are Gabby Miller and Amelia Sabawal, and our details are all in the show notes. See you next time. Bye. Bye.